As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Right Podcast. Happy New Year to you. We're officially in 2023, or as I like to call it, the year that I have to invest in Just for Men, because uh, the more and more I look at myself, uh, Carlos, I'm looking more and more like Frank Drebin uh, from The Naked Gun. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Frank Drebin was, was a silver fox, as they say. Silver fox. I'm more like a, a, a silver gorilla. I don't know what else to call myself because a silver back, silver back. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's not a good look for me uh, as I age here little by little. Another year uh, covering college football, although it'll be a little different for me. I will be covering the Miami Hurricanes still, but I have added on some responsibilities for the athletic working much more involved in the recruiting process. I had a couple of uh, recruiting national recruiting articles here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, including one from the Under Armour game where I uh, spoke to 15 kids off the record or anonymously uh, about NIL and, and different things. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into Cormani McLean, who every Miami Hurricanes fan uh, is wondering what he's going to do. He told me at the Under Armour event that he's going to make his announcement on uh, January 15th, which is a Sunday, which is kind of weird. Um, but, you know. Technically can't really sign with a college anyway until the early signing period in February. We'll talk about Cormani. Uh, I'm I've been all over the place. You've been all over the place, Carlos. You just got back from Universal Studios, man. Tell me about your uh, your holiday break, the family. How's everybody doing? I'm like Diddy, bro. I'm like Diddy. Been around the world tonight. Yeah, yeah. Although that's another song from the uh, early '90s that, that was mixed in there. But still, <laughs> um, it was fun, man. Uh, disconnected for a while. It was nice not to. I, I got to tell you, I did not watch a single bowl game while I was on vacation. Um, didn't watch the college football playoff, just watched highlights afterwards, uh, read articles about it, but I really, I disconnected, which was nice. Just got to enjoy time with the family and hung out at Universal, did some stuff in Orlando. Um, so yeah, man, had a great time. Had a great time re re-energizing myself to come back and start 2023 fresh. This is our first joint pod in 23 together. And it's the first one we've had in a while. So I'm excited to be back. Yeah, Andrew Ferrelli was on here quite a bit with me because uh, we were doing a ton of recruiting stuff. Uh, Andrew, of course, now with the Raw 7-on-7 team, uh, which I was at today earlier. I went to their uh, 
to their first couple of practices here Friday and Saturday. Uh, they've got Julian Sain, uh, who's the 2024 five-star quarterback commitment of Alabama. They got uh, a bunch of kids. Uh, another one, Michael Van Buren, a quarterback, a four-star quarterback that Miami's very interested in signing. He's a kid who plays at uh, St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. I really like the way that kid throws the ball. Little undersized. He's just under six feet tall. Uh, just turned 17 years old and turn 18 until April. So I'm sure he still has some more time to grow. But as far as the raw skills and ability, he's got it. Um, and, you know, like I said, a ton of kids, a ton of stuff I'll be talking about. You know, as as, as I told you earlier, my athletic uh, endeavors are leading me in, in different directions. So I want to include some more fresh content in terms of recruiting in, in the years to come. But you and I, Carlos, we will talk a ton of canes every time I have you on here and, you know, I want to get into sort of roster construction into in this podcast, because I feel like that's a big theme, right? With TCU getting yeah. to the national championship game uh, after a five and seven season, Sonny Dykes going in there and basically flipping the roster pretty quickly. And and I, I sat here, you know, me, I'm Mr. Research. I love to sit there and crunch numbers. Better you than me. Uh, yeah, I did it for, I basically went back and looked at how every team has been built. The uh, top 100 recruiting classes, mm -hmm. In the last three cycles, counting the 2023 class, you know, wh what ratio it was in terms of high school recruits versus uh, trans guys. transfer portal guys. Uh, TCU went 14 and 14, 14 high school recruits, 14 transfer portal guys. USC, of course, which was the darling, right? Everybody was like, right. man, look at the, the quick turnaround that they went from four and eight to winning uh, or, or being in the Pac-12 championship game before Caleb Williams got hurt and missing the missing the college football playoff. Uh, USC went nine high school recruits, 20 portal guys, which brings me to sort of the big picture for Miami, right? Because Mario Cristobal in his first year, Carlos, went 15 high school guys, 11 transfers, and they went five and seven. Uh, it was sort of like a 60-40 breakdown of high school recruits to, to transfers. Some people would think, well, he's got to go transfer heavy, right? The guys that he's got there now, by the t if you bring in a bunch of young guys, that means you're going to go through another rebuilding season next year. And guess what he does? He goes out and he signs 25 high school recruits. We're still waiting for Kamani McLean and then four transfers. Now, look, they could add more transfers here. They're going to add more. Which transfers. I'm sure they will. Yeah. But I think we kind of learned a little bit, right? Based on that evidence that maybe this is another growing pain year for Miami coming up. Well, I, I think what Mario realized was he had a cursory understanding of the roster when he took the job. He didn't have an in-depth knowledge of the roster when he took the job so he felt based on what you know like many of us i fell victim to this too based on what they had accomplished during that last season with manny diaz um and based on the talent he saw from tyler van dyke in that offense he figured if he added a few pieces there through the transfer portal that he could at least be somewhat competitive uh probably win the coastal maybe make the acc title game and uh start off on the right foot while he starts loading up with high school recruits the following cycle which is this cycle that we're seeing now. What ended up happening was he got in there, saw what he had, and he's like, oh, shit, this is a lot worse than I anticipated. This is not just, you know, throwing some guys in here. Now I'm going to try and fill all these holes. How am I going to do this? And he, he started preparing himself. He started bracing himself for, for the, uh, the bumps. But he did, I don't think he anticipated it being this bad um, an outcome. So what he decided to do, I think, is take the philosophy of, I'm just going to start this from the ground up. I'm going to take as many of my guys – that I can get from high school and build them in the way that I build my players in the way that I want to build my roster and the foundation of this program. So essentially he's not thinking about next season as, Hey, let's, let's turn it around. Let's make a run to the playoff. What he's thinking is this is year one of my team. 
these high school guys, these freshmen, this is my team. here. These are the guys that I worked on all year to land and, and took time to get here and really did a great job of bringing in the top five class and will be the foundation for this program moving forward. So by the time this class hits their third year, now you're talking about probably a college football playoff appearance, possibly pushing for a national title. And what he's doing with the portal is just plugging areas here and there and trying to get his guys to have more than one year of eligibility to help with that run and maybe accelerate it a little bit, but not by too much. His long-term vision is really what he we're seeing here with the way he's constructed this roster moving forward. Yeah, and, and I think I think as Miami fans listen to this show and, and this podcast, of course, you can watch us on YouTube. If you just listen to the podcast, you want to see our ugly mugs and my uh, Frank Drebin impersonation. If you want to check that out, uh, you, you can watch it on YouTube. But for those of you just listening, uh, look, I, I agree with Carlos 100% here. This is a long-term sort of rebuild, at least the approach that, that Mario is taking. Again, there's going to be more transfer portal guys added to this roster. I expect people to be shifting in and out of this roster through the summer, right? You have up until... Uh, f- uh, school actually starts in the fall, the first week of school to kind of finalize your mm-hmm. roster for the season. So there's going to be more movement. There's going to be more players. But for right now, I mean, there, there's it hasn't come out in the uh, in the athletic yet. It'll be out Monday. But I kind of did a whole roster breakdown. I sent you an advanced copy, Carlos. I don't know if you got a chance to yep. uh, to check it out yet. But I mean, I essentially broke down every single position because I know a lot of us were like, hey, did this guy leave? That guy leave? It, it's hard to keep track of all the departures and who's been added and who's actually signed and who isn't. So if you want to check that out on Monday at theathletic.com, it'll be up then. Um, but essentially, I mean, they still need to add pieces. And the way that I look at this roster, Carlos, you know, David Lake, uh, who, who covers the Hurricanes, he's one of the several handful of beat writers who's been around for a long time covering this team. He works for yeah, I love I love his sports. coverage. He's, he's one of the and, ones that I don't have a feud with. Yeah, he, he he's over at Inside the U. He and I often text each other back and forth about, you know, just sharing perspectives on the team. And I, and him, him and Gabby Lutruti, I do a fabulous job yeah. uh, on their podcast. Uh, I know Miami fans are very familiar with it, and, and I got nothing but complimentary things to say about both of them. Uh, but he and I, I sent him a message this week. I said, you know, the more and more I look at this roster, I said, the more and more I think this could be a team that loses uh, more games than it wins next year because there still are some major holes. I said, yeah. I think they're eight guys away. Eight transfers, eight new additions away, whether it's high schools or whatever, from being an eight-win team, yeah. and and I know that might floor people and say, "Man, what do you mean? They were five and seven. They have to be better." No, they lost some experience, and they're counting on some young guys to step up in a lot of areas. And there still are several positions uh, that need to be upgraded. Number one, I, I I still worry. Do they have a number one cornerback on this team? I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure that they yeah. do. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson was their number one guy. This was a unit that got beat on several big plays. Uh, and, and what you have coming back essentially to Corey Couch, Daryl Porter Jr., uh, Malik Curtis, Chris Graves, and Jaden Harris. The new additions are Devontae Brown, the UCF uh, transfer who started 31 games, and he's the older brother of Damari Brown. And you have Robert Stafford. Uh, Miami's still trying to add another piece. Uh, the uh, Iowa, uh, the former Iowa player uh, who's I think he's a six-year player, Terry Roberts, excellent special teams player. He's the guy that they're sort of targeting as another sort of experienced person to add to the secondary, Carlos. Um, but he's a guy who's dealt with injuries. And uh, so I, I don't know what's going to happen here. Hopefully they get Cormani McLean. It kind of leads us back to Cormani, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, if, if, if they don't get Cormani McLean, uh, and again, we'll talk about him separately here in a little bit. Um, but if they don't get him, then I think that creates a hole where, okay, now you've really got to go out and add another guy on top of Terry Roberts, 
uh, to come in because Cormani's the kind of guy who could come in and start, you know, eight, nine, ten games for you. Maybe not be great, uh, but be good enough to be a solid starter for you. And if you don't get him, uh, then that's problematic. Uh, so I, I would say cornerback is, is my top concern uh, on defense. The second one would be defensive tackle. That's the um, biggest one to me, yeah. Yeah, Mario mentioned, I mean, look, there's just not a lot of, of D tackles. You have Jared Harrison Hunt. Um, you have uh, Leonard Taylor, who was your, a 12-game starter. You have uh, Ahmad Moten, who's who's another young player. You're hoping Jake Lichtenstein gets a seventh year to come back and play. I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. Uh, you have Akeem Mesador that you could slide over and play inside if you need to. Yeah, he's not going to want to do that. He's, he's got too much money uh, invested right. in, in the NFL where he's going to be a defensive end. He's going to be a strong side defensive end. Uh, you have Thomas Gore, who's the, the Georgia State transfer. And then you got a couple of true freshmen that are coming in, in, in Collins uh, Achampong and uh, Joshua Horton that are two true freshmen. It's very hard to sort of count on those guys to come in and play the defensive tackle position right away. So again, another position that Miami's trying to address here through the transfer portal. They've had guys come in on visits. They've had guys that they're chasing after a uh, couple of names, uh, former Purdue defensive tackle, Branson Dean, Arkansas, former Arkansas defensive tackle, Isaiah Nichols and former uh, Kentucky defensive tackle, Justin Rogers are, are some of the names that have been out there uh, reported. Um, Look, none of them are Daryl Jackson. Okay, none of them are that that kind of a, a elite run stuffer. And by the way, there was a recent report by Brandon Sinone, a Florida State beat writer for Two Four Seven Sports, who says that Daryl Jackson supposedly wants to come back to Miami. Uh, I've heard mixed I've heard mixed reactions to that uh, from different people in terms of whether or not that's really feasible that it'll actually happen and whether or not uh, he, he'll do it. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. And did they say that they say why he might want to come back to Miami? I, I, you know, there's plenty of speculation out there on the internet, Carlos, that he's not happy. The whole point of him going home was to, was to be closer to his mother who was ill. That's what my understanding was. That's the reason he left. Uh, I've heard other stories since then, since these rumors have come up, I rather not get into them because I, 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 yeah. you don't know what's real and what's not. And, and I don't want people to take whatever I say on here as, as, as fact when it's just rumor for right now. Um, but look, the bottom line is, regardless, you look at that defensive tackle room, and that's another area you say, just not deep enough. You need to yeah. get some some experienced, meaty guys. And the kid they got out of uh, Georgia State, very good player, um, but he's not big. He's six foot, 270 pounds. He's undersized. He's more of a speed rusher, pass rusher type. Yeah, he's another strong side end. Yeah, I, I, I just – so to me, that's another huge concern for me on the defensive side. Well, for me, the, the larger concern is the defensive tackle spot, and I'll tell you why. You can develop those young guys in the, in the secondary room, those DBs, uh, over the course of a season and make them good enough to where they're competent. And because of your safety play, because you've got a guy like Cam Kitchens, if James Williams continues to develop, you've got those two guys back there that can erase a lot of mistakes uh, from when the corners make it. That's the ideal thing. Um, on top of that, if you've got a good pass rush, you can make your corners better just through that because you're pressuring the quarterback, making him get rid of the football sooner, and not letting him read through progressions and find the open man. So that helps. Um, on top of that, I think defensive tackle is critical because you need those guys to be able to stop the run. You need those guys to be able to seal up lanes and not let Florida State do what it did to us this past season, which is just run up and down the field and boat races through uh, through the run game, um, kind of like UNC did a couple of years ago. Um, the, in addition to that, because if you have a strong uh, defensive tackle room, a de strong defensive tackle group, you're also going to help your linebackers. Because those D tackles are now occupying multiple offensive linemen, like I've said in the past. And once you do that, those linebackers are more free to 
read keys, fill gaps, and make plays. And when you've got a young linebacker like Wesley Besaint, you want him to be able to use his athleticism and not have to fight uh, through offensive linemen and fight guards and fight people at the second level that are going to impede him from getting to the ball carry. So you want defensive tackles in there that could make an impact, occupy the line of scrimmage, help create pressure along with those defensive ends, and serve to aid those linebackers. And if you're able to do that, I think that makes more of an impact than an additional corner maybe. Um, I, I think if you got Daryl Jackson back to me, this is a hot take. And I know everybody's probably going to shit on me for this, but <laughs> here we go. Incoming, 3-2-1. I think getting Daryl Jackson back would be more important than getting Cormani McClain. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think I think in the end, uh, you know, you need those those guys that can make an instant impact at that defensive tackle position because it's very hard to play true freshman there. And uh, Cormani McClain, like I said, he could be a starter for you. Uh, but if you know, you also have Damari Brown, who I think is just as talented as Cormani. I watched them play yeah. on the seven on second, uh, seven on seven circuit uh, with South Florida Express, and and I thought Damari uh, was more consistent in than Cormani in coverage. Um, you know, part of that might just be because Cormani took more chances and wanted to try to get picks in seven on seven, let guys get past him. But I thought Damari was was looked more ready, I think, for the college game, in my opinion. Than Cormani did, but we'll see once he gets here. Either way, those are two areas that I think, if Miami is unable to really address it with by by filling it with good, solid starting caliber players, those are going to be two huge weaknesses and two huge problems in my mind going into the start of the season in twenty twenty three. On the other side of the ball, look, I, offensive uh, line. You know, th they're still trying to get another center in here, and I know that uh, this weekend they're hosting former uh, UCF starting center, Matthew Lee, who's one of the top available uh, guys in the portal. It's not that they don't necessarily like Ja'Kai Clark, uh, but if you can upgrade and get yourself one of the best centers in college football, a guy who was all conference, uh, uh, a guy who uh, just plays the game at a higher level than Ja'Kai Clark, that's why Mario was brought was brought in to do. All right, sorry to cut into this podcast all willy-nilly, but I had to update you since Carlos and I recorded this podcast Saturday afternoon after I came back from the Raw 7-on-7. Obviously, some news for the Hurricanes here on Sunday night. They pick up a commitment from three-year starter Matthew Lee, a guy who was uh, at UCF and, and one of the best uh, offensive linemen in the country. He was all-conference, first-team. Uh, and he's rated uh, the top available center. So obviously, Ja'Kai Clark's going to have a little bit of competition. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I got you guys the update because I know my uh, my editor here, Mike Zimmerman, is going to make sure to include this so you have an update to the section where Cardos and I are talking about the offensive lineman. All right, I'm out. Ja'Kai Clark has been okay, but he's not a world beater at center. And, and I don't think he's a, a starting center for a conference championship or a college football playoff contending type team. To me, he's he's a center that could start another group of five school. Uh, and he'll, he'll do well there. I, you know, he's been here. He's been a starter pretty much ever since he set his foot on campus, just because of the circumstances at Garden Center. Um, that doesn't mean he's been great at it. And I think, I think if I were to look at the best five offensive linemen on the roster right now, I wouldn't name him in that top five. Um, mm -hmm. So I would try and figure out a way to probably move someone else to center if we're not able to land one in the portal. I would try and say like Inez Cooper, uh, maybe even Jalen Rivers. They tried um, Lawrence Seymour there. You know, Jonathan Dennis has, has been tried there. If someone else out of that top five, which I think their top five offensive linemen are Francis Mamagoa, uh, Zion Nelson, Jalen Rivers, um, Cohen from Alabama, and probably Inez Cooper at this point because of the amount of run that he got last year. If you could find a center in that group 
and then to kick the other guy to guard, I think you'll be fine. But I think they need at least one more guy to, to, to push at that center spot, someone that's comfortable playing there, not somebody that you have to convert. Well, I, again, I think the, the, the benefit of getting a guy like Lee, who's an elite guy at that center position, it just allows you to play everybody where they're supposed to play. You don't exactly. have to shuffle guys around, and, and that's the benefit of it. But again, yep. I, I see that more as a luxury. <laughs> I see the bigger need yep. at receiver. Uh, where yeah. you have a playmaking threat, somebody for Tyler Van Dyke to feel comfortable throwing the football in, a guy that the defenses have to prefer, prepare for, a guy who's kind of like Charleston Rambo was a couple of seasons ago for Miami. Obviously, everybody knows about Dante Thornton, the former Oregon receiver who Mario Cristobal recruited. I know I, I told you guys on a previous podcast with Andrew Ferrelli that he was still going to be taking visits elsewhere. Uh, and going through the process here in January, uh, the new name to pop up was former Michigan receiver Andrew Anthony, a guy who played for Josh Gaddis. Look, one thing I'm going to say here about the receiver position uh, for Miami, uh, you, you have some guys that I like, like younger guys. Uh, you, you know, you have Jacoby George, who I think can still be a very good sort of number two receiver, a guy who who can exploit a defense when he's healthy and playing at his best. Um, you have some other guys that you could potentially go into the season with and be like, okay, we can we can get by this year with them. But if you want to be a team that that pushes for the ACC title, you need to get a true number one receiver. And I just don't think that guy is on the roster right now. Uh, I like Nathaniel Joseph. I like Robbie Washington. They're true freshmen. It's very hard for true freshmen to come in and make a huge impact. And neither of those guys has a big physical body. They're undersized. They're kind of like Brashard Smith in the sense where you know they're under six feet. Uh, they're 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 going to benefit from playing in the slot and being put in open spaces. But they are not guys that you throw the deep ball to, and 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 you know try have them go up and out leap DBs to get balls. You've basically got one guy who can do that in Colby Young. And if you can add a second, that'll tremendously help you because look, Frank Ladson is back. Uh, but Frank Ladson, I mean, let's look at his numbers. I have it here: twenty-seven catches, two hundred ninety-eight yards, and yeah. one touchdown. Uh, you know, Colby Young didn't get to play the whole season, but he was effective. 32 catches, 376 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, those are the top two guys in my mind on the outside right now with Restrepo, Smith, and then, uh, you know, maybe uh, Jacoby George rounding out the top five. That's not necessarily a top five that you that you want to have, uh, you know, leading your leading your team uh, at the start of a season coming off a of five and seven year. Yeah, you, you want a guy on the outside, like another Colby Young, that can make things easier on Tyler Van Dyke. Um, you want a guy that doesn't necessarily have to be a burner to get open, that could use his body to be able to create separation, come down with 50-50 balls and give this guy a better target and have a wide range in terms of his catch radius. And that's what you want to see, which you got a little bit out of Colby Young in that sense. But then they started rotating coverage over to him, and then you were screwed because there was nobody on the other side that could do the same thing and offer the same type of skill set. You know, Aside from the guys that you mentioned, um, I know he hasn't been met, linked or mentioned uh, in terms of who the Hurricanes are targeting, but J. Michael Sturdivant, he's a receiver, Richard freshman from Cal. He was our number one guy, really, really good receiver, 65 catches, 755 yards, seven touchdowns is in the portal. He's from Texas originally, so I don't know if he'd be looking to come to Florida, but you never know. You know how Mario has those Pac-12 connections and knows about those kinds of guys. Uh, and I think he's got the sort of burn and athleticism. And at 6'3", is right in line with the Philly King Fort receiver, but I agree with you. To me, the biggest hole is receiver. We saw what had happened with Tyler Van Dyke when Xavier Restrepo went down. Uh, he lost his security blanket. He lost a guy that he confided most in, in terms of who he goes to in that receiver room. And really, until Colby Young came around, he was struggling to find people to make plays. Uh, you know, Michael Redding had his moments here and there, but he had a bunch of drops. 
Jacoby George flashed, but again, also had his drops. They couldn't find the consistency they needed on the outside. And I think adding another body there, just in terms of adding guys that can make plays, that's always good. I mean, even if, if let's say, Jacoby George ends up panning out and beating this other guy out as a starter, at least you've got another guy on the roster that can go out there and make plays. You've got more depth, which I think overall was the biggest issue for the Hurricanes this year. And it has been for a long time. You know, they could have good frontline talent at certain positions. And maybe even their frontline talent, their starting 11 on both sides, is good enough to compete. But once you get an injury, or once you got a guy that gets a setback or isn't able to go, now you've got problems because the guy behind him is nowhere near as good. I agree. And uh, again, excellent freshman class. I mean, it's ranked in the top five. They get Cormani McLean. It'll stay there. But again, think about this from a big picture perspective, Carlos. What Mario did ultimately was say, you know what? I'm not making this a quick fix. I'm laying a foundation with a young class. These are the guys that we're going to build around for the next several years, which tells me, again, he's okay with not necessarily winning a bunch of games next year. Obviously, right. he, he wants to win, but I'm saying he understands that there's going to be a long-term approach to this, and I think Miami fans have to get themselves ready to deal with that because, look, the bottom line is he went out and he signed 11 transfers last year only five of them really ended up making a big, sizable impact when you think about it. And, and, I, and I mean that from a were they even in the starting lineup. Only five of the 11 guys started at least six games. Henry Parrish, who turned out to be your leading rusher. Uh, Frank Ladson. Uh, Akeem Mesador, who I thought was their, was their best defensive player. Uh, Mitch Lagude, who was an okay rotational defensive end who started uh, X amount of games. And then Daryl Jackson, who ended up losing to Florida State at the end of the year. Uh, a 12-game starter who was good but didn't really grade out as well as Leonard Taylor. So he was really your number two uh, defensive tackle. Still a huge loss to lose him. But those were your five guys. Everybody else that they signed in this last class, they played. Some of them were in rotations, but not meaningful, major impacts. When you look at that USC team, and I broke it down and it's in my story, uh, they signed 20 transfers. Six of them ended up becoming starters on offense, including their left tackle, obviously Caleb Williams, and then Jordan Addison. They actually had, I think, two receivers, several linemen, running back, Travis Dye, and yep. Caleb Williams. I mean, that's that's major impact. That's going out and saying, hey, we're not waiting for these guys to grow up. And that's why USC was able to have the kind of season they did. On the flip side of it, only four starters on defense, and you saw how bad their defense was. Those weren't necessarily big impact guys. Had they done as well on offense, recruiting through the transfer portal, USC might have been in the playoff. They might be where, where TCU is right now. Well, it's also feast or famine in the portal, right? So I think what Mario's doing this year is he's taking his time more rather than just jumping on guys and taking a bunch of guys early in, in portal season. He's looking for quality as opposed to quantity at this point. He figures if if these guys aren't going to come in and make a major impact or if I don't have a role where I see them fitting into right away, if they fit perfectly, then I'm not going to pull the trigger on them. It has to be a situation that I feel fits our current needs um, because he doesn't want to sort of create a situation where high school recruits are turned off by the amount of transfers that you're taking because that means they're going to have to wait longer to get on the field, right? right. At least one more year. And I think that's one of the things that attracted a lot of these guys from this past recruiting class was the ability to play early and be sold as part of the foundation for rebuilding this program. So I think that's why Mario slow played the transfer port a little bit. Whereas Lincoln Riley, he felt he had enough talent in, in USC and enough guys that he could bring over to compete immediately for a national title. And, and he almost did. He almost got into the playoff. So it's a different situation. There's not a lot of Jordan Addison's out there, right? There's not a lot of Caleb Williams. 
There's even not a lot of Travis Dyes out there, to be quite honest with you. So it depends on what you're able to get in the portal. If you can't get the biggest guys, the biggest guys that can make an impact right away, the best players, then it's kind of a, a crapshoot, really, because you don't know what you're going to get, especially if you've got guys coming over from non-Power 5 conferences and you really don't know how they stack up against Power 5 competition. Yeah, they could have put up big numbers in, in a group of five school or even, let's say, an FBS school, uh, an FCS school, but you never know how they're going to transition their game to to high level in the ACC. So I think at the end of the day, what Mario is, is doing is, like you said, he's ripping everything out, starting from the ground up, and he's only going to take transfers if it meets an immediate need and he thinks he's got the perfect guy to fit the role that he has in his mind. It's really more of a of a Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Ryan Day approach, to be honest with you, because you go back and you look at Ohio State, uh, Georgia, and Alabama's last few recruiting classes. Yes, they took transfers, but it's still predominantly elite high school recruits, the right. blue chip uh, percentage for these guys is pretty ridiculous. Let's look at Georgia, for instance. Uh, in 2021, 20 high school recruits, three transfers, but they had an 80% blue chip percentage as far as their high school recruits, okay? Uh, they, it, the next year, uh, after their national championship in 2022, their 22-22 class, 30 high school recruits, one transfer, um, but 73% blue, blue chip percentage, 22 of the 30 guys they signed were blue chip recruits. Uh, and then this year they, they went 26 high school recruits, two transfers, uh, and they're 85 blue chip percentage, which is, which is really, really good. Miami, for instance, uh, their blue chip percentage has been pretty consistent, believe it or not. It's been in the 60, 61% for 2021, uh, you know, 14 out of the 23 were blue chips. Uh, last year, Mario's first class, 10 out of the 15 were blue chips, which is 67%. And in this class, 17 out of the 26, counting Cormani McLean, uh, is 65% are blue chips. So where you want to be ultimately, if you want to become Alabama, Georgia, uh, you know, the Clemsons of the world, the Ohio States of the world, those guys recruit in the 90, 85, 80-something percentile in terms of blue chips if yep. you're going to go this formula. Now, Florida State is interesting uh, because that's really who you should be comparing Miami to. They're in the ACC. Uh, you know, they're in the same state. They recruit the same level athletes. Uh, people have sort of criticized Mike Norvell and said, well, his recruiting classes, they're not as good as Miami's and they're not as good as Florida's. Miami and Florida are, are ranked higher. But people don't realize all of these recruiting rankings ultimately are based on how many kids you take. And um, if you look at Norvell and Florida State, they've signed 17 high school recruits in each of the last three cycles since he's been on the job, uh, counting this year. And their blue chip percentage is in the 40s. You know, 35s obviously lower than Miami, but still, if if you were if they were to go more with high school recruits, I don't think they'd be having the success that they're having right now because they signed 12 transfers in 21. They signed 14 last year, and they went with eight right now. And they've got the the I think the number one transfer portal class in the country according to 247 Sports, unless it's been changed here in the last few hours. Um, and it's it's their approach, and it's working. They're getting the Jared versus of the world. They're getting the Jermaine Johnsons of the world. They're getting some really good players, Carlos. And I sat there, and I broke down FSU's roster. I mean, there's a reason why people are picking them to win the ACC next year, and I know in the end, Miami fans are going to say, look at Florida State, look at Florida State. They're kicking Miami's ass. Uh, but again, I think it goes back to Mike Norvell's approach is different than Mario Cristobal's. And here's why, and I'll tell you why. The reason why Mario Cristobal is able to break it down to the studs and start from the foundation and why he's going to start taking or he's taking less transfers than Mike Norvell is because Mario has more job security than Mike Norvell. Yep. Right. 
Uh, so Mario's got a 10-year contract for $80 million. The buyout is heinous until you get to like seventh or eighth year. So he knows he's got the time to build his program, and he's been given the keys to the football program to do that and build it in his own image. And how do you do that? You build it with your players, your hand-picked guys out of high school that you mold from an early age, from the time they're freshmen, they set foot on campus, to the time they leave the University of Miami. And you create that continuum of culture where that starts bleeding down into each class that you recruit. And that's what Mario is doing. He's got the time to do it. So he could take a five and seven season. He could take a six and six, five and seven next year until you get to that third year or fourth year where you finally got that core of guys that, that he's been after to make a run at the college football playoff or a national title. Where Mike Norvell, you know, coming off Willie Taggart, coming off the things that have happened early on in Mike Norvell's uh, tenure there at Florida State, needs to win immediately, which is why he gets the uh, goes the heavy transfer portal route. And that's not sustainable. At some point, he's going to crap out, man. Everybody craps out of Vegas. It happens. And you're going to have to rely on those high school recruits. And if your blue chip percentage is 30 or 40%, and you got to rely on those guys that you've been recruiting in the past and you can't fill those holes through the portal, then you're going to have a down season and probably a pretty ugly one. So what Mario is trying to do is build a program that is sustainable for the long term, not just the quick hit, which you might see with a team like USC or a team like TCU. And once these guys cycle out, these transfers that have come in, do they have a drop-off, right? Is there a valley? because they have not built the foundation with the high school recruits to then continue to progress upwards and move guys in as other guys graduate or leave for the NFL. I find it fascinating as hell because, look, the, the bottom line is this is a new way to operate in college football, right? And I think that the whole thought process with Mario is he's an elite recruiter. He's going to come in. He's going to bring in great players. But the transfer portal creates a, a, a situation that, none of us in, are really used to at the college football level. I mean, obviously, it's like free agency. Every single year, you've got to almost convince the guys that you want to come back to come back. Uh, you need you need to sort of hold on to your own players. And if you look at it, I mean, Mario lost a, a number two defensive tackle and Daryl Jackson, and that hurts. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that could happen to you as you plan this out. You might have a great recruiting class uh, like Mario did this year, but if five of those guys decide to go in the transfer portal next year because they don't like the situation, they're not happy with their playing time, whatever the whatever the situation is, then all of these rankings, all of these high school rankings, this high school plan, it's a failure because it's you don't end up maximizing what you need to maximize. And that's the part that I find interesting as hell because the whole preface of hiring Mario, again, was he's an elite recruiter. He's going to help you. Well, guess what? In, in today's game, you got to be both. You got to be an elite recruiter and you got to be able to work the transfer portal really, really well. And I think if we were to grade year one of Mario's transfer portal, what would we give it? A C, C. right? Five out of 11? C plus, uh, maybe. C plus, maybe. I mean, it, there were more misses than hits, uh, it, which, which look, uh, uh, Florida State, you go back and you look at all their transfer guys, not every single one of them hit. But the bottom line is Florida State's 10 and three uh, coming off a bowl win in their first 10 win season in a while. And there's a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement. Whereas Miami, we're sitting here and we're talking about, man, this might be another rebuilding year. Yeah. And I think Mario harps a lot on and we, he's talked about it since he's got here that it's all about talent acquisition, right? That you've got to acquire talent, but it's also about talent retention. If you don't retain the talent that you recruit and you sign through the transfer portal, then you're always going to be constantly working with a hole, right? You're trying to fill a hole that never gets filled. Um, and that's really the situation the Hurricanes have faced for so long. So it's it's a situation where Mario not only has to bring these guys in, but he has to keep them. And how do you keep those guys here? That's the question. And, and I think Mario's really going to be focused on that moving forward to try. And I think the way he sold the vision to these guys that he's recruited is that, listen, you're going to come in here, you're going to compete. You're going to be part of this foundation. But to be able to do that, you're going to have to earn your way onto the field. 
It's not just, listen, I'm handing you the keys, jump on the field as a freshman and go. You're going to have to fight to get there. Um, and I think that's the culture that he's building from the ground up. Like we've talked about all year long. Part of the problem is not just the talent, it's culture. And that still continues. Need to, that, that former culture, that, that uh, sort of entitled feeling needs to continue to cycle out of the program until Mario's gotten his, his culture uh, fully in, in grasp there at the University of Miami. Um, I want to get to some mailbag questions, but there were topics that I teased to that I want to make sure we hit on before we get to the mailbag questions, Carlos, because we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks here. Which, by the way, I flipped my hat over so you could see look for you guys on YouTube because I knew somebody was probably going to talk shit saying I was wearing, wearing Florida State stuff. This is a Gryffindor hat. That's correct. That's the only house you represent that's maroon and, and, and gold there. There so, you go. A um, couple of topics I want to hit on. The Under Armour All-American game. I, I wrote an article, like I said, giving these uh, high school All-Americans uh, the opportunity to speak anonymously about some of the NIL offers that re they received, uh, as well as where they really ranked it in terms of their importance and their decision-making process. I don't know if you got a chance to read that article. I know you said you weren't reading many of them, um, but that one came out uh, last or earlier uh, this week. One of the more popular ones. I went on like three different, four different shows to talk about it because everybody loves NIL. The oh, one, yeah. the one takeaway I'll share on here, and, and again, I tell you to go check it out at the Athletic, um, is for as much as a strong system Miami has here in terms of NIL and being able to help uh, kids, the the picture I got from a lot of the elite top 100 type ranked players in the country that were playing in the Under Armour game, Carlos, is a lot of them. Yes, money is important to them. But I also think it still comes down to culture fit. You know, does do they do they go to a place where it's exciting that cranks out NFL players that has a stadium that's packed every single day? All of those other factors still matter to them. Uh, player development, etc. And right now, Mars is a great recruiter, but we got to see what kind of talent he starts putting in the NFL. And this isn't a group that's going to be this, this team isn't going to put a lot of guys in the NFL off of this team. So that's another sort of hurdle that you have to go through here in terms of saying, well, we put X amount of guys and we did this and we did that. Yes. Mario had success at Oregon, putting guys in the NFL and having first round picks, but he's in a different environment. Now he's got to sell Miami's environment. And I still think that that's one thing that hurts Miami is the fact that they're not putting out first round picks at the wide receiver position. They're not putting out, first round picks at edge rusher after Jalen Phillips and Gregory. So they go back to sort of being what they were before. Uh, those are the kind of things that I think when it comes to recruiting future All-Americans, that's still going to matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's one of those deals where Mario has sort of a little bit of a shelf life that where he can live off of what he did at Oregon. And it's going to, it's going to end this season because he, he pointed back a lot this season. at saying, look at how well Oregon is doing. We recruited all of those guys. We were very successful at the place we were at before. We've been very successful all along the way, We've everywhere we've been. All that shit needs to end. At some point, there needs to be production on the field from his guys that he's brought here at the University of Miami. And, and I think, you know, it's going to take a couple more classes for that to happen. But how many losses can he sustain um, while he does that before recruits start turning their noses away and saying, listen, you're not fixing anything. It's more the same. Um, but to me, I think Mario is eventually going to get it right. I think once you flood this program with talent and, comp and competition, um, where, where there's competition at every position, there's depth at every position, then it becomes what not what it used to be, I think, in its heyday, but it becomes a contender. It becomes, like we've said, a Michigan. Uh, it becomes one of those uh, programs where they can be consistent and possibly make a playoff and make a run. But it's going to take more than just one class. And how do you continue to get these guys there if you're not having the success on the field or getting guys in the NFL? 
you you may have a few guys on this current roster uh, going into next season to go into the NFL and maybe not first round picks. I think maybe Zion Nelson, if he has a really good year, could be a first round pick still. I think Jafari Harvey could be a third or fourth round pick. Um, Akeem Mesidor, I think, could be like a second or third round pick. So you've got guys on that roster that maybe can get uh, other recruits excited. But I think at the marquee money positions, DB, wide receiver, quarterback, I don't know what TBD is going to do this season. We'll see. I mean, if all those guys end up having really good seasons and get drafted at least, you know, second to fifth round, then I think that's a, a bit of a feather in Mario's cap that he could build off. Yeah, he's going to need to have some guys develop and and, and exceed expectations uh, in terms of what uh, some people are thinking about them right now. Uh, one thing I will say for Mario, uh, you know, from talking to a few players at the convention, same stuff I heard from Francis Maui Goa and some of the other players who signed with Miami. Respect for the way he recruits, respect for the way that he's honest and upfront with them. Uh, Cedric Baxter, who ended up signing with Texas out of, uh, you know, he's one of the elite running backs in the country. I think number two running back in the country. Um, he ended up telling me that, you know, Mario came to visit him uh, at, at Orlando to see if he could flip him sort of at the late, late in the game. And, you know, one thing he said was, look, the one thing about Mario is he is he is genuine. He will he, he's a great recruiter. You, you like talking to him. You like being around him. I think that's going to, you know, continue to be a feather in Mario's cap. But again, I think uh, player development. That's what I took away. Miami has to put some guys in the NFL here in the next couple of years. All right. Moving on to another subject from the Under Armour game. Kamani McLean. I told you we'd, we'd talk about that again. I reported at the time when I was up there while he was holding the U up and, and doing that and, and taking pictures and with, with Miami hat on uh, all those things, I did get a chance to sneak in a few words with him. He didn't want to do interviews, but uh, having known him from the seven on seven circuit, you know, I got a chance to, to chat with him a little bit. Basically he said to me, I'm going to make my announcement on the 15th. Uh, what that announcement is. All, I, I don't know what it will be. Uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of people who feel the same way I do uh, that. It's never good when a guy delays a decision when he's committed yep. to a school. Um, Colorado, obviously Alabama are schools that were recruiting him. Um, and you know, we'll see what happens on the 15th. I don't have the answer for you. I honestly do not know. He told me, uh, everything's going to be all right. You know, Miami's my school and this and that, but again, uh, the delay, you never all, know with these kids, you never, you never know with these kids. And the one thing I'll say to you, every single Miami fans, I've tried to make this point, And I wrote this literally the day he announced he was delaying this decision. His mother did. It doesn't matter if they get him in this class or not. It's still a foundational, strong class. So if they don't get Cormani McLean, sure, you shrug your shoulders and say, damn, number two player in the country is going somewhere else. But if he decides to come, great. You got it, the number two player. I don't think it knocks Miami back in any way, shape, or form other than, okay, now they got to go out and get a transfer portal guy to come in and fill that scholarship. And I don't think it, it sort of uh, dampens the job that Mario has done with this class, right? Coming off of a five and seven season, his first as a head coach here, all the turmoil this team went through this season, five losses in a row at home. And he's still able to land a top five class with foundational players getting flips at the end with, with uh, Ajapong, with Mark Fletcher, uh, with Damari Brown landing Damari Brown's brother in the transfer portal, Francis Mangola's brother in the transfer portal. You know, this is, this is a class that can be, like we said before, it might not be the best class the Hurricanes have ever recruited, but it might be one of the most critical ones because it's it's the one that's going to push Mario's agenda forward and lay the foundation for what he wants this program to be uh, from here on out. So to me, either way, just the fact that he's in contention for Cormani McLean right now, especially back in September when people were saying he had absolutely no shot uh, and that his going to speak at his high school in Lakeland was ridiculous. But guess what? Those moccasins made their ass up to Lakeland, baby. Gave him a hell of a speech and got him in the game. 
And Cormani McLean at least is a 50-50 shot at coming to the University of Miami. Whether they land him or not, who knows? But at the end of the day, at least they're in the game for him. A player that Manny Diaz would have no business recruiting and would no way, no way, shape, or form be in the middle of this hunt. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. A um, couple other things here. Uh, Miami revealed its plans for its uh, football facility. I reported long ago uh, about uh, this happening and how much money they were investing. I saw some people reporting it was going to be a uh, $100 million job. I know the Gators, uh, who just finished their brand-new football facility, spent $85 million on theirs. Uh, I was told by somebody very, very high up in the process, Carlos, that uh, this thing's going to cost closer to $250 million than $100 million because of the amount of uh, work that needs to be done. It's a seven-floor facility. For those of you that haven't seen the uh, renderings, I tweeted it out on Twitter. Others have as well. The school tweeted it out. Uh, all the different details of what's going to be inside there. There's going to be there's press releases. You can you can read that on the website if you want. But ultimately, you know, Miami has to fundraise here a lot of money to get this thing done. There's not a lot of land in Coral Gables. Uh, it's one of the toughest places to build anything, to have construction crews, all that. Yeah, kind of zoning stuff. laws suck there. So oh, right, and and I think you know the one the, the reason why I was given that message ultimately is look, it's not a hundred million dollar job. It's going to cost us more. Uh, and people and we need to be raising more money for this to cover those kind of expenses. So uh, just to clarify that uh, and then, uh, you know, I will be going to the coaching convention tomorrow up in Charlotte for three days. I'll be sitting in on a couple of the uh, the meetings and, and hopefully running into some of the Miami coaches. I think most of them are going to be grad assistants and and uh, analysts and stuff that are on the team. Not too many of the actual assistant coaches will be there. But I was also yeah, those are the guys hunting for other jobs. Right. Uh, there'll be a lot of guys there, high school, college, yeah. coaches, all kinds of people. That's where uh, most of the connections happen to be able to land uh, college jobs. Right. So I'll be up there along with Sam Kahn and, and I think Andy Staples is going out. There. There's going to be a whole bunch of us from the athletic out there uh, talking to coaches and figuring things out. But um, I guess my, my whole point is I, I, what I was told, there will be changes to the staff. Um, I, I, I'm expecting them. I'm expecting some news here. As I've tried to say on the Big O Show when I make my, my Tuesday and Friday appearances, patience, patience, 
patience. Everybody wants to see things done right away. Obviously, Mario does not operate in that fashion. Uh, uh, part of this is, you know, these are the, some of these guys are guys that he brought in his first year. He spent a lot of money uh, to bring in, made a big deal about it. Uh, it always looks better when they go find a new job and move on than to yeah. have them fired. Uh, I think all of that plays a role. Uh, but ultimately, there will be changes to the staff. I expect there to be who. Look, you guys all know who the, who the names are, right? I mean, do I need to sit here and spell them out for you? Who struggled on this team this year? What units, et cetera? Uh, I, I think those are the expectations as far as who 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 could potentially be leaving. Yeah, and I think um, another interesting bit of news is what's going on with Michigan and the NCAA and the sanctions that are they're going to be levied uh, against that program for violations, recruiting violations that took place during 2020 and 2021, I believe, uh, during the COVID period where they could not have, you know, face-to-face contact with recruits. There were some violations in terms of how they operated their program. And from what I read, uh, a bunch of the coaches that were part of the violations are no longer with the program. So what does that tell me? And maybe Josh Gaddis, that's part of that that, that uh, investigation as well. So what happens if Josh Gaddis gets an NCAA penalty and is not allowed to coach because he's suspended for one season? I don't know. I, we, will, we will find out. I will talk to our Michigan writer and find out what's going on with that. Yeah. Uh, but Look, for right now, I can just tell you that, that that I expect changes to the coaching staff. We will find out. I'll be back and, and do another show next week. I'm actually going to have Malik Rozier, uh, the former Hurricanes quarterback, on with, uh, on with me next Thursday. He asked if he could come on, and I know he's launching his own new podcast soon. Uh, wanted to talk about that, and, and, and we'll talk some. We'll talk about my uh, experience up at the coaching convention and what that was like. Uh, but uh, that's that's on tap. Should we get to the mailbag? I got one more item, actually, before we get to the mailbag. Do, do, do the item. Do the item. Let's be thorough today, man. It's the first one of 2023. We've got to set the, the year off right. We can't We can't leave any stone unturned. unturned. Manny Diaz, top five defense with Penn State. Go. <laughs> that was a trick one, wasn't it? You just dropped that in my lap just so it could explode in my face. Now I feel like Daffy Duck after he tries that, to smoke that trick cigar and he gets his bill <laughs> going backwards. Um, I don't know why that's surprising to anyone. Everybody knew Manny Diaz was a really good defensive coordinator. And anybody that said he wasn't, you know, just doesn't understand football and didn't see what he did here as a DC under Mark Richt. Um, was the defense terrible after he took over as head coach? Yes, it was. Uh, part of that was Blake Baker. Part of that was lack of talent. I think the year that he was a defensive coordinator and serving as a head coach, I think it was too much for him. His focus was split. He, was, he wasn't able to be as hands-on as he wanted with the defense. And I also think that having Blake Baker there for a time um, created bad habits with that defense that he had to fix, but didn't have enough time to fix them. And it ended up costing him the long. Well, Penn State ended up winning uh, the Rose Bowl and uh, had a great year. I saw Manny on the sidelines at the state high school championships uh, when St. Thomas was playing. They were after a couple of kids there, including King Mac, Conrad Hussey. Conrad Hussey ends up flipping to Florida State at the last minute. But Penn Which, by State- the way, let's, let's give that kid some props. That's a great name. I love Conrad, Conrad Hussey. Yeah, and King Mac is a, is another one. No, that's, a, that's a great that's one. Terrific as well uh, for the all name team. Um, all right, so we're gonna get to the mail back here. We got a few. Some of them are gonna repeat a little bit. I saw some of the topics here. Stuff. By the way, ha- one ready. more hot take. One more hot take. Manny has Manny has another head coaching job. Uh, if not before next season, the season after that. All right, I agree with you. I think he'll get another chance. I thought USF would be a good landing spot for him. Uh, another, you know, sort of. Uh, G5 head coaching position like a temple. Yeah. Uh, we'll see where he ends up going. Um, this is Ryan Falcon, uh, one, two, three on Twitter. Who are the must get guys in the portal? Again, I, it's not so much the names, 
for me as it is the positions and the level of experience. Uh, I, I think at this point, you, you, you only take red shirt freshmen or second year, like really young guys like Anthony Lucas, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M who, who yep. went into the portal. You only take those kind of caliber guys, top 100 recruits that essentially would be a second year freshman who, who would come in here already ready to play because their body's been through a full year of conditioning. I, other than that, I'm taking older guys that you can plug and play because that's 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 the view that I have. You need plug and play guys at this point. Yeah, absolutely. You got you need guys that can either be frontline starters or guys that are counted on the rotation that you can move in there and play a good amount of snaps per game and be part of the first or second team. You're not going to go out there and take a guy that's only going to play four to five snaps a game. You need guys to make impacts. This is from Alex Perry, A. Perry, 1927. What are realistic expectations for 2023? The new offensive line has me feeling a lot more optimistic. Are there any plan changes for the coaching staff or is the whole group expected to return? Well, we sort of uh, covered a little bit about of that. I, I think when we were on my pod before the end of the year, um, we ended up saying eight and four based on the schedule breakdown. But I, I feel like seven and five is a realistic goal for next season. Yeah, I think getting to a bowl game uh, with assuming this roster is as is, and maybe you add only one or two more transfer portal guys. In the end, I think it'll be five or six. But if you only add one or two more transfer portal guys, then I don't see how this team is markedly better. Uh, the offensive line, I do expect to be better. Uh, I think the running back position will be better. It's going to be healthier. I like mm -hmm. Mark Fletcher a lot. Mark Fletcher, by the way, scored a touchdown on an 81-yard touchdown catch uh, today. I like that kid a lot. Or not the Under Armour, but the, uh, the, the U.S., what used to be the U.S. Army game in Texas. I think... Uh, uh, Ray Ray um, Joseph ended up scoring a touchdown as well in that game. Good sign from those guys. But again, you're counting on a lot of true freshmen to come in and play right away. Some of the guys have the bodies. Uh, you know, Ruben Bain has the body to come in like uh, Nigel Lee Kelly did and be a rotational potential starter as the season goes on and his body adjusts to playing the same way Wesley Besaint did. Um, you know, Francis Maui Goa, Samson Okunlola, they have the bodies to throw in there if, you know, after they get in here and start training and getting used to the program. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, you, you don't have that many different new starters available, right? Like it's hard to plug and play true freshmen. Uh, you can use them as, as bits and pieces. I don't right. know that that's going to be big enough to, to win them eight, nine, 10 games as, as they're currently constructed. The, the so goal should be to get guys that can at the very least sustain you uh, on a course, on a successful course for the first half of the season. So by the time that second half of the season rolls in, now these freshmen aren't freshmen anymore. Now right. there's there's a little bit more seasoned and ready to play. They've built their bodies. They've had enough game experience to be able to plug in the rotation like we saw last year with Nigel Lee Kelly and Wesley Besaint as he became a starter at the end of the year. Yeah. This is from David Hernandez. Which team in the ACC has done well with the transfer portal window? Well, I mentioned it earlier. Florida State, I think they're ranked number one right now in the transfer portal rankings according to 247 Sports. And the eight guys that they signed, by the way, when I broke this down, Fentrell uh, Cypress from Virginia – uh, for Florida State, was a 14-game starter, All-ACC second team. Uh, the defensive lineman, uh, Braden Fisk, who they signed from Western Michigan, 29 really career signing. starts. Uh, you add Daryl Jackson, assuming he sticks. That's a Miami starter. 
the offensive line, that's really the only area where they lost a significant number of guys to, you know, losing, uh, play, you know, whatever, their ability to play, their, their, eligibility. Uh, their eligibility. They go out and they sign three guys that are starters, 22-game starter, 30-game starter, 30-game starter from Auburn, UTEP, and Colorado. Casey Roddick from Colorado, Jeremiah Byers from UTEP, and Keandre Jones from Auburn. Three guys that are starting offensive linemen. That's hard to do in the transfer portal for anybody. And then tight end, they have to replace Cameron McDonald. Uh, they go out and they get a Division two kid who put up a bunch of numbers, 6'7", 245 pounds, Kyle Murdoch, and then Jaheim Bell, who's a, a tight end from South Carolina, who was sort of a split starter, started six games last year. That's a lot of starting experience. And then you look at what they lost, really, outside of running back Treshawn Ward, who was a six-game starter uh, before uh, Trey Benson sort of took over their backfield down the stretch when they were kicking everybody's ass, uh, Minimal, minimal guys. Uh, Jared Jackson, defensive tackle, one start. Amari Gaynor, linebacker, one start in 2022. Those guys are going to Michigan State and North Carolina. So FSU essentially loses one half, you know, part-time starter and two guys that were just rotational guys. Everybody yeah. else. So, you know, the hype for Florida State is real. I, I think they're going to have a very good team. Jordan Travis coming back, uh, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I had a conversation earlier this week um, um, with Irish Afell, who's covered Florida State for a long time, he's picking them to win the ACC. And the way Kate Klubnick played in the uh, in the Orange Bowl for for Clemson, I wouldn't necessarily uh, disagree at this point. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just uh, the way Florida State looked at the end of the year, and and I think at the beginning of the year we discussed it before the season started. We thought Florida State was going to be a lot better than people anticipated, and to me, it came down to running game and offensive line, and the 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 maturity and the growth of Jordan Travis, which unfortunately I think the point, the watershed moment for him where he really turned the corner was against Miami uh, the previous season where we uh, where we lost at the end. He threw that touchdown pass. First of all, that deep ball on Cam Kitchens and then threw the touchdown pass to win it uh, essentially and, and get Manny Diaz fired pretty much. Um, after that point, he just became a different player. I think he became a lot more confident as a passer and didn't rely on his legs so much. And when he did uh, end up leaving the pocket, it was trying to still make plays downfield, which he didn't do before. Um, he's always been elusive. He's always been athletic, but now I think he's come along as a passer and a thrower. And I think he'll continue to do that. And, and on top of that, you know, Benson was, was amazing down the stretch for, for Florida state. He ran it up RS, uh, for God's sakes, but he's a, a really tough runner, really hard to bring down. I think he led the country or was top five, at least in, uh, broken tackles and forced tackles missed and, uh, yards after contact. So, I mean, there's, there's nothing you could say about Florida state, man. Nothing, nothing really bad. Uh, they're going to be good next year. You got to get ready for it. It sucks. I know. I don't want them to be good. I don't, I don't like it when they're that good and we suck. If they're going to be, if we're going to suck, I want them to suck too. I want there to be an equal level of mediocrity between <laughs> these two programs. If, if one is going to rise, I want both to rise at the same time. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. North Carolina and Louisville are two other teams. North Carolina got nine uh, transfers. Louisville got 10. Uh, I think they- Louisville is going to be a lot uh, more difficult, a lot more challenging uh, in terms of the recruiting trail from now on in the transfer portal because of, uh, because of who they got at the head coach now is Luke, Luke Fickle. Yeah, and and, and I think uh, – I'm sorry, in, Luke Fickle, Jesus Christ. Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin. Right. right. Brom. Jeff Brom from Purdue, Brom. right? Their guy. Um, and their offense is going to be a lot more wide open. Yeah, North Carolina is interesting because they had, I think, three consecutive top 15 classes under Mac Brown, 14, actually rated 14 or higher, and they dropped back uh, in the rankings. But part of that was because they signed nine transfers – uh, I, their transfers aren't as good as Florida State's. And they lost again, a bunch of guys. But again, North Carolina, a thorn in Miami's side. I mean, it just they just are. They're a pain in Miami's yeah. ass. That's a program they have to finally get past. And I don't know when that's going to happen. 
until, until Mac, Mac Brown retires again. Yeah, which could be soon. So we'll see. Um, all right, let's keep moving on. Next question here on our list. David Hernandez is, um, actually, no, I just read David Hernandez. Uh, how many of the early signees are enrolling early? Same with the transfers. Was wondering about spring depth chart, giving the 18-ish that have left Miami. This is from Jake Campbell uh, at the one coach soup. Jake, you know, to be honest with you, uh, a lot of the private school kids uh, that are in Miami's class, they have to finish school through the summer. Um, and I had some conversations. I know Ruben Bain is planning to get in early. He's finishing classes up early uh, to get there. Um, but but a lot of the rest of the guys in this class, um, I, I, I think they've all got different issues, right, uh, with graduation and, and extra classes that they're taking. I can't give you a clear number. I, I haven't done enough of my homework on that. Um, and I'll say this. I know this because it happened last year, and I know this from some of the things I've heard in the offseason. There's a lot of guys having surgery. So spring football, again, may be another session where you just have a bunch of young guys getting reps uh, and, and sort of hoping that, you, that they develop as players so that when the fall comes around, you can actually get something out of them. And, and let me issue this warning again, uh, as I do on an annual basis. Do not rely upon what you see in spring football in the spring game as gospel. Don't rely on what you hear about the scrimmages as gospel and that, that it's going to be a transition into the season. Uh, because for God's sake, how many times have we seen guys make plays in spring games or have a great spring camp and then do absolutely nothing come the fall? Um, I mean, what, who was the guy last year? Was the walk-on receiver that had a big game? Right. Then yeah. nobody's heard of ever again? <laughs> right. I never worry about uh, what happens in spring games. And, 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 and honestly, to me, what I look for in the spring is how many of the freshmen and second-year guys actually start to get in the rotation. Like, do they do right. they get first-year reps? reps? Uh, like that to me speaks much more volumes about whether or not they're actually going to be used in the fall um, and, and whether or not the coaches have confidence in them. Um, because in the end, when when the transfers come in or the older guys get healthy, et cetera, off of surgery, they're usually going to go to the bench. I just want to see how they perform. Do they look like they're ready to take over right. those kind of spots? Um, a couple of other guys who might be in early, Francis Maui Goa. I know he went home um, to be with his family. Uh, and I know he's coming back with his brother, uh, he he's graduated early. I know most of the IMG kids, uh, but anybody from from American Heritage um, and some of these other you know private schools that, that come into Miami, I, I don't think they're necessarily going to be in early. I know Mario mentioned there could be as many as twenty, but I think he was counting transfers as well in that number. So we'll find out at some point. Maybe the next podcast or the one after, I'll give you an answer, a better answer for that, Jake. Um, as it stands right now, I know it's super early, but what is your feeling about how good this offense will be? The line appears to be in better shape, but nothing yet for the wide receivers. This is Brent Peterson, B Pete, 91-21. Uh, man, I think um, the offensive line will be better, but I think it a lot of it will depend on the center position to me. I think, like I said, I you know, Jakai Clark is okay, but he's he's not the kind of center you need or, or you you have to have if you're going to be competitive. Uh and trying to win the ACC, trying to land a college football playoff spot, even being a competitive top 25 team. He's not that kind of center. And I think the center is the most critical position on the offensive line. Of all, you know, left tackle gets highlighted a lot because the center is the guy that makes all the calls. He sets everything up. He's one of the ones that, that is combo blocking a lot of the time that has to cover double gaps, depending on the pass protection. Those are all important things. And I think if you can get five solid offensive linemen with three backups that you could count on, it's going to look a lot better this season. Now, how good is the offense going to look? I don't know yet because I don't know if we can count on Trevante Citizen coming off an injury. 
Uh, is Don Chaney going to be somebody you can count on because he's had a long in- entry history here as well? You know, Henry Paris is a good back, but he's not a number one back. We saw that. He's good. He's solid, but he's not a guy that you want carrying the ball 25 times a game. And Mark Fletcher, he's a young guy. He's not ready to carry that load yet, I don't think. Um, and, and neither is Chris Johnson, right? The uh, the other guy from Dillard. He's mm-hmm. just going to be sort of a, a kick returner, punt returner early on in his career, I believe, um, th- to use his speed. So if the running game's not there, then I think it's going to be problematic for this offense again. If the running game can't get going, I think the entire offense will suffer. And I also think unless Jacoby George or another number one uh, or another guy that's an outside receiver that can make plays develops or emerges or or they get that guy through the portal, then I think it's also going to be a struggle. And and again, you know, as, as up and down as Will Mallory was, he was a productive player on this team for a long time. So that's going to be a hole that you have to fill. Can Elijah Arroyo come off the injury and replace and plug and play for Will Mallory? Or is it going to have to be Jaleel Skinner or Khalil Brantley or somebody else? Yeah, I, I don't see how this offense is going to be markedly better. First, I, first I need to see who the coordinator is going to be, right, and what kind of adjustments they're going to make. Uh, I think the feeling uh, with some of the people in Tyler uh, Van Dyke's camp is that they're going to go more to a passing attack than, than a running attack than, than what they were before. I mean, that's part of the reason I think he agreed to come back and be a part of this for next year. Uh, you know, that kind of goes up against what Mario likes to do. Mario's a run first guy, establish the run. Uh, but who will be the coordinator? Will they make those adjustments, et cetera? That all remains to be seen. I think if they come back and they try to run the same kind of offense and they're banged up, I, I, I don't see how they're better than what they were. And oh, by the way, you want me to give you the rankings? You want me to give you the ugly numbers? Uh, against FBS opponents, Miami averaged 19, points. 19, yeah. 19.4 points a game, 112th. This is FBS opponents. This takes away the uh, yeah. the uh, the cupcake F- FCS game. They averaged five yards a carry, 103rd. Uh, they averaged 3.34 yards a carry, 109th uh, against FBS opponents. On third down, 37%, which was 81st. Red zone TD percentage, 44.8%, which is 119th. I mean, these are god-awful offensive numbers. Uh, they averaged 3.27 sacks a game, 113th. Explosive plays, 38 total on the year. That ranked 106th. And in turnovers, they turned it over 24 times. That ranked 122nd. There's nowhere to go but up. I would, I would Yeah, and I would venture to say those are probably worse numbers than under Dan Enos. Uh, I'd have to go back and, and double check it because I, I have all this shit charted, but I just don't have those numbers to, <laughs> to, to, to play. But I'm off. guessing. I'm just throwing it out there. Hot take. Yeah, hot take. Well, I will say this. You ready for me to give you FSU's offensive numbers versus F- FBS opponents? All right. Uh, let me guess the points per game. Go ahead. 34. 35, 18th in the country. Yards per play. Yards per play, 9.8. 6.83. That was oh, ninth okay. in the country. Uh, rushing yards per play. 6.3. 5.22, which is 14th in the country. Third down percentage. Uh, fifth in the country, fifty-one point two percent red zone. I was going to say fifty-two. Okay. Yeah, red zone TD percentage versus FBS opponents. Go ahead. Sixty-five percent. Sixty-nine point four nine percent. Twenty-first in the country, and here's the big one. You ready for this? All right. FSU explosive plays. How many do you think they had? Miami had thirty-eight. How many do you think uh, FSU had? Eighty-six. Ninety. Third in the country. If you look at how many explosive plays, 20 yards or more, compared to how much they gave up, 90 minus 41, how much is that? Uh, that is 50, 49. 
40 they were plus 49 in explosive plays only you, turned you, it over 13 times you confused me making me do math this is why i went to law school dude yeah well listen again that just shows you the gap between miami and fsu as an offense give them their due they got it right uh mike Norvell did a good job uh, addressing their needs and getting them better um all right this question is from nick strong ky kane 23 how about just an update with the number of scholarships left now that two guys turn pro? Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm counting uh, Brian Balaam among 18 guys who entered the transfer report. I think Brian Balaam, I don't necessarily think he's coming back. Uh, I think he's probably going to graduate and, and, and go somewhere else. But if he's back, count that scholarship as one of the 85. Let's go by the numbers real quick. I got four scholarship quarterbacks. Five running backs, that's nine. I've got nine receivers, that's 18. I've got six tight ends, uh, that gives 24. you uh, 24. 16 offensive linemen, 40. 40 offensive players. You ready? Defensive linemen, 17. Uh, linebackers is nine, so that's 26. Cornerbacks, eight, that's 34. And six safeties. 40. 40 and 40 is? 80. Add a punter and a kicker. 82. So now you're at 80. You're at 82 scholarships. You've got three that you could potentially use here. Plus, whoever ends up leaving after the spring, which I suspect there will be some guys that'll be gone after the spring. Yep. There's your math, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that. Broke that down. Uh, after, Tyler, after that first question, I got warmed up. I was good to go. <laughs> this is from Tyler Overly, T Overly on Twitter. Louisville going six and six at best next year. So capers me. In other words, he thinks uh, the young man, the five-star uh, recruit capers who committed to Louisville earlier today is going to end up going to Miami. I, I tend to think it's a long time between non-signing day. Yes, I think capers, TJ capers, five-star edge rusher could end yeah. up flipping. Uh, number two, who is the most impressive Kane signee you've seen at the All-American Games? That's a good question. I wasn't in San Antonio, uh, but I know this roster. Look, Francis Maui Goa physically is such an imposing physical threat. Uh, I think without question, he is the most impressive physically. But the guy that I, I kind of have a soft spot for is Mark Fletcher, because I think from a leadership perspective, uh, skill perspective, potential perspective, it's Alonzo Highsmith. That's what I view when I see him. And I know what a special guy Alonzo Highsmith was for this program. I praise um, High praise, yes. Uh, which responses to your interviews on the NIL piece surprised you the most? Um, man, you know, again, that was a fun piece to write. I, I, I would tell you, go read that at The Athletic. Uh, but just Cliff Notes version, I, I think the one about the, the kid who, who told me he got a phone call uh, or his parents and his high school coaches got a phone call saying, don't sign, flip to us, we'll pay you a million dollars on signing day was, was probably – the one that maybe not surprised me the most, but certainly sort of lived up to the uh, to the lore of NIL, right? A million-dollar offer. What do you do if you're that kid in that situation? Yeah, and, and Brandon Innes talked a little bit about that kind of stuff where he was saying, you know, a lot of teams came at me with a lot of NIL money, and I had to sit down and be clear-headed about it and speak to, it, to my parents about it and say, do we take the short-term money or are we looking more towards – uh, building me for the longer time, the longer term, right? That long money, the money that comes in the league, uh, because if I take this short-term money, there's no guarantee that I'll be developed into what I need to be to be able to get into the NFL and get paid for real. Um, whereas if I go to Ohio State or wherever it is I feel comfortable, I feel they'll develop me into an NFL caliber receiver 
where the real money will come. So I'm willing to sacrifice some of that NIL to be able to get to the the real money, to the real show, the the, the life-changing money, which is an interesting balance. I mean, at the end of the day, it it, it depends on how you're you're brought up. It depends on your your family structure. It depends on how sound uh, of a foundation you have in terms of uh, the people around you, who's raising you, who's advising you. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, I'll take a million dollars right now. But if you're the type of athlete that can make a hundred million dollars or fifty million dollars or twenty million dollars in the NFL, uh, and all you need is to go to the right program to be developed into that, then you've got to be clear-headed enough to understand that it's worth sacrificing stuff for in the now to be able to get stuff later. And I think that's and that's a societal problem that we have now. I think everything is instant gratification. I want things now. I want to be right. paid for what I am right now. And you're willing to mortgage the future to take what you can get right now when, if you are patient a little bit, allow yourself to suffer and sacrifice for a little bit, you may be able to get even more down the road. Um, and it's interesting to see the kids that make those decisions that are willing to give up the short term for the long term and, and not be swayed by just money. Uh, because it shows that there's still kids out there with character that that understand what it's all about and they have really good people around them that are advising them to do so, not kids that are being pushed by a handler or a bagman to take $750, $1.5 million, get their cut, and send the kid to Siberia no matter what. Yeah, I think for the most part, a lot of the kids that I spoke to that are top 100 type players, I think all of them realize that uh, – the, the real money's in the NFL and the, the immediate big payday. I, I think it's more enticing for the kids who may not get to the NFL, right? right. The guys who know that they're kind of borderline. Uh, I think that's where it really sort of uh, affects, uh, you know, decisions, so to speak. Yeah. Um, this is from Danto3386, Daniel on Twitter. What's your gut feeling on McLean, Cormani McLean? Class seems great compared to what we've had in recent years, and I'm super excited either way, and it's cool if he goes elsewhere, but would love to add him. Look, my gut feeling again. Uh, the uh, the journalist in me tells me he's going elsewhere because mm -hmm. why delay this decision? Right. Uh, the the person who wants to believe what he told me and that everything's going to be okay and he's going to go to Miami wants to believe that. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I don't know. I don't even want to. I don't even want to be on one side of the fence because I really don't feel strongly either way. I, I am torn. And if you pick one side of the fence, the other side of the fence is going to come after you. Absolutely, no doubt. Um. This is from Andrew V underscore 17. Uh, what are your odds on Gaddis staying? Seems like wide receivers don't want to come here. Uh, second question. Do you think Mario will go after a transfer portal running back? Only Henry Parrish and Don Chaney will be healthy in the spring. Uh, I don't think any decisions as far as personnel and going out and having to bring in somebody else because of the amount of guys that are available uh, is going to affect what they do. They'll use walk-on running backs like they did in this last spring. I think they've got their five scholarship running backs. Um, as far as the odds on Gaddis staying, uh, I'm going to say uh, 35%. That's an interesting percentage. Uh, as far as wide receivers who don't want to come here, look, I think that has a lot more to do with the fact that Miami hasn't produced many NFL wide receivers. Yep. Charleston Rambo came here, tore it up, didn't get drafted. Mike Harley put up career numbers, didn't get drafted. Uh, Miami has to change that. It's more about saying we have X amount of guys in the NFL. Um, you know, KJ Osborne is sort of carrying the torch in that regard for Miami right now, and he's a transfer. You have to homegrown, get homegrown kids, have success. Ohio State right now, Brian Hartline is a huge thorn in Miami's side. I know they want JJ Smith, who's committed the 2024 five star wide receiver, the number two overall recruit in the next cycle, is committed to Ohio State. That's a guy Miami's trying to flip. Will they? They better throw the ball and have some success this year if that's going to happen. 
I would say if Jacoby George develops and uh, some of the younger guys develop and have a good season, that'll go a long way towards uh, enticing recruits. Uh, this is from Jeffrey Cook. Not sure this has been addressed, but any chance Tyler Van Dyke does transfer out in the spring? I recall you saying he wants to stay at Kane, but maybe he bolts to SMU. The QB spot open or elsewhere if he's not liking the look of things. Thanks. Yeah, I think this decision on the offensive coordinator will play a heavy role in Tyler Van Dyke's future. Yeah, and, and I'll say, like he said, he may just go through the spring, see what, what the offense will look like and looks like, see if he feels comfortable and say, okay, uh, I'm out. Um, this is from JK Slay on Twitter. Without some strong additional portal additions and having to depend on freshmen next year could yield the same result. Losing record, am I wrong? I think we've talked about this quite a bit, JK. Yep. I don't think you're wrong. I think uh, without a, a few key additions here, I think 500 is is what I would predict right now with this team. Yeah, I think you're probably looking at five and seven to seven and five, somewhere in that range. From Connor six five four seven one four eight nine. I love the fact that he puts. I love these. I love these people with like phone numbers and prison numbers on there. Can you talk about the organization of the transfer recruiting department with Alonzo Highsmith and Rogers? Who else is involved? How do they determine which kids are fits culturally? Culturally, how how closely is Alonzo working with Mario, etc.? Looking forward to listening as always, Connor. Thank you. I know you send us lots of questions. Um, Look, I, I honestly do not know enough about the intricacies of who handles what in that regard. I know Rogers was at Michigan State, um, and, and you know he's a, I think he's a Columbus grad, or, or it's familiar. His parents, I think his parents are very close with Alonzo, um, and, and so that's part of the reason why he's here. Uh, it's identifying guys. Uh, I think Roger identifies him, brings him to Alonzo. Alonzo evaluates it, goes to Mario, and they have discussions about who they want to go after. I think you know the one thing about Alonzo is he handles a lot of different hats, uh, with Mario, I know that they do talk often. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of times where Alonzo is maybe an intermediary between him and Radakovich. Everybody's busy. Radakovich is b- busy trying to get this new facility built. Uh, Alonzo's, uh, you know, leading uh, scouting and and uh, you know the transfer portal. Rogers is involved with the transfer. There's a lot of different people, a lot of analysts, a lot of people around, uh, and they're all trying to get in, in front of Mario. In the end, Mario's the guy who makes all the decisions. Uh, in terms of personnel and what's going to happen, who they're who they're going to go after. Yep. All right, we've reached, I think, the end of our mailbag, Carlos. I'm I'm sure we probably have more somewhere in here. Um, I think this is a, a very interesting time for Miami football. Very interesting time for college football. I hope that uh, you enjoyed today's episode. If you tuned in, there will be more. As I said, in the weeks and months ahead, maybe I start having some more shows. You know, talking recruiting, talking ACC, bigger picture, uh, because we are going to go through some months here where maybe there's not a ton of uh, hurricanes. Going to be a little lean, a little lean moving forward. It's going to require me uh, having to delp, d- do some research on my own and start getting uh, more into the recruiting stuff, which sucks. But it's okay. But I'll do it. I'll do it for you guys. <laughs> Carlos, thanks for coming on with me, and uh, make sure you check out the MIA All Day Pod, where Carlos, you, you know, he does a great job uh, breaking things down in his own way. Uh, he carries an entire show by himself, which I could never do a lot of the time. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Uh, you it it requires a, a lot of Diet Coke and years of practice at being just a schizophrenic. Okay. Well, whatever it is, uh, you're a must follow, a must tune into. Make sure you check out everything Carlos does with his podcast. Uh, we will be back soon after the coaching convention uh, with more conversation. Malik Rozier, we'll see. He said he's going to do a podcast with me on Thursday. I think we're going to get it done. Uh, We will have more wide right. But for now, that wraps up today's episode. Happy New Year. We will see you guys soon. Peace.
the you.